everybody. Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast, episode 58. Uh, how you doing today, Aaron? Doing great. Ari, what you been hacking this week? Uh, this week has been a little bit crazy, I'll be honest. My, my in-laws, in-laws are in town, so we've been hanging out with them a little bit. Um, and we have... Uh, didn't, I've, I've been in the city three times this week, actually, because I had to do some speaking. I spoke at the National Association of Professional Organizers this past week, which was really, really fun. Actually, it was a really cool oh, group wow. of people. Yeah, and uh, so you yeah. said the city. What what city is that in? Oh, that, sorry, in New York City. <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, I live out in the Hamptons now, and I try to avoid going to the city if I can. I feel very claustrophobic when I go back to the city. So, um, oh, but it was it was it was a fun event, um, and I am going tonight. With my brother-in-law for his birthday to to a uh, a Van Buren um, techno concert, basically. Yes. Oh, cool. I think is that Van Buren? Yeah. So I, I haven't been to a a techno concert ever. So this should be a, this should be a fun a fun Martin Van Buren. That's it. So this should be a fun. No, not Martin Van Buren. That's the president. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I, I, no, I don't. I, okay. I don't follow techno music, but is that your style of music? No, it's not. Um, okay. But, uh, you know, it'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So that's uh, – what am I hacking? Uh, energy levels, basically. I know that tonight's going to be kind of crazy. We're driving to the city. Um, we're going to be at this concert. I'm probably going to get home around 2 or 3 in the morning, which is – you know, for those listening as biohacked as you might be, that's still hard for someone who's not 20 anymore. So uh, I'm, I've been really working on um, really getting really good sleep as I, I try to always. But this week particularly, I've I've actually gone to bed an hour earlier every night in preference in, in planning for this. <laughs> so um, nice. and I'm taking my alpha brain today, my my favorite nootropic supplement to to try to support the stress that could happen from not getting enough rest. So. Uh, I'm probably overthinking it a little bit because it's just uh, you know an electronic music concert. But hey, yeah, that's what I yeah. do. So as you've been going to bed early, have you still been able to keep up with Blinkist and reading as many books as you did last week? Uh, yeah, almost. Um, I read this week. I read The Happiness Project from Gretchen Rubin, which was really cool. Last Ape Standing, which was also really interesting, evolutionary tale and then philosophy for life by jules evan which actually i want to talk about so philosophy for life the guy is basically making a comparison between ancient philosophy and modern cognitive behavioral therapy whereby you're changing the way that you react to things essentially and the 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 quote which i put on my instagram is uh men are not disturbed by things but by their opinions about them and the idea being that if you can change your opinion you can change the outcome or your emotional response to them, rather. And that's, that's really the basis of cognitive behavioral therapy. But uh, it's cool because it goes into how ancient philosophy was really a way of life and not just, you know, sort of like a 16-week treatment to overcome some sort of issue. So it goes into uh, Pythagoreans and Epicureans and um, uh, Stoics, which is, a, mm. which is a big one. Uh, you know, so Seneca, I know, is like a big thing for Tim Ferriss, and, and he, he's a big fan of the Stoics. So I actually I think it's a pretty cool philosophy, basically accepting that certain things are the way they are and then behaving as such. So Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I, I thought that was pretty cool. I'm going to check that one out. What, what else have you been up to this week? Well, uh, so I, we, I've been doing a lot more interviews now, thanks to you. I've been able to get a lot more of these out. So, oh, nice. I, I, yeah, so people should be looking out for some pretty cool stuff. I've got interviews coming up with uh, Chris Dancy, who has been called the most connected man in the world. He's And connected not in terms of networking, but in terms of devices. Um, okay. the, the guy is 
really cool. So I'm, I'm excited to talk to him. And uh, I, I've got a, a, I've got like four people I interviewed this week. So it's nice. really good. Oh, also the Amazon, uh, um, the book, my book sold out on Amazon this week. Oh, nice. So, nice. Yeah. That's so that, great. That was really cool. Uh, they can't tell me exactly how many books that means, but I mean, that's, it's good. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm really excited. The book has been doing really well. And, you know, if you haven't had a chance to check out the book yet, I think it makes a pretty good gift for people if you want to pick one up because it's a quick read and, and people seem yeah. to be liking it. So, Yeah. You know, now that you mentioned the book, um, one of the questions I had from the book was um, you try to eat healthy meals and a big part of that is batching them. And you said that you make meals a lot of times on Sundays uh, as you're doing laundry. So what are some of your top healthy meals that you could recommend to people for easy batching? Sure. Uh, well, for batching, uh, I'm uh, we're we're in this house at least. We're we're a big fan of roasts and soups, you know. So, well, actually, you can kind of combine them together. So, my wife is French, and she makes this amazing uh, bouffe bourguignon, which is basically beef and some wine and some other spices and, and some tomatoes. It's, it's an amazing, amazing dish, and I think it's it's very healthy depending on the source of the meat you're using but uh it's great to throw that in the slow cooker on you know a sunday and if you make enough of it honestly that could, that could feed me for the week because then i'll eat it plain i'll put it on some so i'll put it in a wrap uh, i love these ezekiel wraps by the way the whole sprouted grain oh. wraps mm-hmm. um i'll put it in that i'll put it on some rice if i want it just can make sort of any meal for the week that you you want so that's a really big one but also, generally, I, when we make salads, we make enormous salads, and I tend to make these salads that have like every ingredient in the kitchen in them. So <laughs> nice. you know, it'll have. And I think I posted this before, actually, one of my one of my recipes for salads. But I'll have like sardines and cheese and tomatoes and uh, kimchi or sauerkraut and just all this stuff. And I I think that when I make it, I think that I'm going to eat it in one sitting, and then that never happens, and I end up eating it like for the three meals of the day. Sometimes so, um, uh-huh. that that's that's definitely a good one. Um, are you still doing uh, the compressed eating window where you're basically eating uh, at around noon and then between noon and eight p.m.? Absolutely, it's it's there are there are some days when I find myself getting a little hungry beforehand, but usually I'm just so busy and the way that I've sort of organized my day, you know, I I tend to not even have a few minutes to stop and do that. And then we've got the kids running around. So yeah, the twelve to eight eating window has been really really working well for me and oddly enough i I haven't been working out as much as i used to and as a result of that i think that i've actually lost some some size um Mm. and i I, people have commented that i look very skinny and the compressed eating window has seemed to help me bulk up a little bit oh okay oddly because i'm not eating less you know for everybody listening like a compressed eating window doesn't mean you're eating less by any means and in a lot of cases actually you'll be eating more uh because you're you're not necessarily eating two or three smaller meals and you're not really snacking you're sort of just combining all this stuff into this shorter window so i think i'm still probably taking in four to five thousand calories a day and uh, i seem to be uh to be bulking back up a little bit which is cool so what do you like to break your fast with when you do have your first meal my favorite thing is this, like, it's my version of huevos rancheros, which is basically I take three eggs, and we get these great eggs from this farm locally now. The, now the season is starting up again, which is great. Um, so three eggs, some grass-fed butter, 
uh, and then I'll, so basically I'll crack those eggs in the pan, put in some butter, put in some refried beans, which I, I love. The, there's um, Amy's organic veg, the, the vegetarian beans are amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, some sauerkraut or kimchi, usually sauerkraut. I find the kimchi kind of overpowers the eggs. And a whole avocado, some cheese, some usually some gouda. Because I don't know if you do you know this that gouda is one of the best sources of vitamin K two. You know, I think I heard that on the Bulletproof podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably. Oh, right. They just had that one. So yes, it's a great. And I love gouda cheese. Um, and then uh, I'll just basically mix that all up and then put that uh, on on a plate and, and eat that. And that's, that's like my first meal of the day, which is pretty hearty. And then usually nowadays I've been actually including a smoothie with that. And the smoothie has a whole host of other stuff. It has protein powder and, and greens powder and, uh, and raw cacao nibs, which are my personal vice. I love raw cacao nibs. Are you, do you like cacao nibs? I, I haven't tried those yet. No, no. Okay. So <laughs> cacao, you know what they are, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so cacao nibs, for for the listeners cacao nibs are basically the raw beans just broken up into pieces they're crunchy they're a little bit bitter they don't really taste like chocolate honestly they're a really good source of magnesium and fiber and and um they're just they're awesome they add some really great crunch to to dishes and i love them and they're a prebiotic food i think to help your gut as well i think we talked about that a few weeks ago they are a prebiotic because they they yeah because um because chocolate is a fermented food. So yeah, if you're getting it, that's pretty much the rawest state that you could get in and still actually eat it. So, But uh, now I've tasted uh, baking chocolate and it was pretty bitter. Is it, is it have that same kind of really bitter it, flavor? It doesn't. And I don't know why that is. It doesn't. Okay. It, I guess when they powder, because powdered dark, you know, raw cocoa is bitter um, to some extent. Depends on where you get it. But for some reason with the cow nibs, I don't experience that at all. It just, it, it doesn't. It doesn't have a lot of taste, to be honest. It just has sort of a subtleish flavor. So I think maybe when they grind it down, they it gets concentrated or something. Now, are these the upgraded uh, cacao nibs? I think uh, Bulletproof Executive has some of those. Uh, we'll put a link to those. He no. He has the upgraded cocoa powder, which definitely we're going to link to that because it's amazing stuff. Um, and he has his his also cocoa butter, which is great. He doesn't have cacao nibs, the raw nibs. And my guess is that. Uh, they probably could contain mycotoxins if you're, if you're really looking. I don't know that for a fact, but they are pretty raw and unprocessed. So depending on how long they're stored, they, they may. So that might be one reason why Dave doesn't offer them. But maybe he's going to at some point. I love them. Okay. <laughs> so did we, we, got a, we got a question on uh, Facebook this week. Yeah. Right? His name is Ben. And he says, hey, Ari, how do, you, how do you process your taxes in a timely manner? What is your process to optimize, outsource, let me try that again. Optimize, automate, and outsource your tax filings. Thus far, I use SnapQuick records of receipts and deductions in Evernote and tag them with something like tax deductible receipts for easy retrieval. However, this does not lend well to outsourcing. Um, so what are some other options? Sure. Well, so Ben, thanks for asking that question. And I'm sorry that I don't think that this podcast is going to come out quite in time for tax time, but at least you'll be able to get prepared for next year. Um, so there's a number of things here, but obviously I want to simplify it. So if you're if you're dealing with receipts and trying to categorize that and manage that stuff, there really isn't a and, and you don't want to do it manually. Shoeboxed is honestly the best thing you can use. And Shoeboxed uh, is a digital repository for documents and you can sort of store anything you want there. But what they do that's really cool is they offer this service where you get these like blue Netflix style envelopes and you just stuff them full of the paper, whatever you got. 
and send them off, you know, twice a month or whatever you want. And you can keep them by your door or on your desk and just get in the habit of sending it off every two weeks with whatever's in it. And it's cool because you don't have to sort through it. You don't have to figure out what goes where. You just stuff it all in there. They scan it all and they categorize it. And if it's a receipt, they'll actually break it out and do the expense uh, breakouts for you. So it, it's a really great way to categorize it. You can share that information digitally with anybody you want. So, you know, with me, a lot of this stuff, when you're dealing with paper or whatever, the first step is to try to get it digital because once it's digital, that's when you can really start to uh, have other people work on it, you know, because you can have them do stuff remotely. So whether it's a virtual assistant or accountant, as long as it's digital, you can share that information. Uh, Shoebox will take that all and do that. So that's the first step. Shoebox will integrate with Evernote. It'll integrate with Dropbox if you need to. But most importantly, it's digital. So right there at that point, you may that may be enough for some people because if you have an accountant or you have an assistant already dealing with this stuff, you can then have them get to that. If you don't, there's this really cool service called Bench, uh, Bench.co. And we uh, I actually interviewed the founder of that for a previous podcast. And Bench is sort of a hybrid between a full-time bookkeeper and QuickTime in a way. So they have their own platform. They'll take all your accounting information. You can actually skip the shoebox part completely if you want and send the paper to them. And then you have a dedicated accountant, just like a dedicated assistant, who will manage your stuff, get it all ready for tax time, give you expense reports if you want. And they, uh, it's, it's like 100 bucks a month. I mean, which, which is really amazing if you're, if you're doing enough expenses. So, you know, shoebox would be the first step if you just want to deal with this on a personal level and get things organized and figured out and share them. If you need to take it to the next level or maybe you're running a small business, then I would look at Bench and they can, they, but you're getting a full on professional accountant that will work with you and work with the books and everything. And it's like having a dedicated virtual assistant, except they're an accountant. So it's, it's a really awesome offering. But uh, between those two services, that pretty much will cover how you have to deal with dealing with uh, gathering all your receipts and stuff together and being able to prepare them for tax time. I think that that pretty much covers it. Of course, there's all sorts of other financial apps and services. There's Mint.com. There's Indonero. There's all sorts of other things. But as far as answering your question, Ben, I think that that sort of, uh, that, that sort of covers it. Awesome. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ben, for that question. And uh, for those listening, uh, feel free to leave a comment on the Less Doing Facebook page or in iTunes or on Stitcher, and uh, we'll try to get to your comments on the show. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we're actually out- outsourcing and optimizing that process by having the comments go directly to an Evernote notebook that we share, so it's pretty easy for us to get to. Yeah, uh, Aaron was uh, found a service called HyperAlerts that will actually take that information from Facebook and put it right into uh, Facebook or right into Evernote for us, thanks to IFTTT. So yes, so uh, please continue to make that process work. Uh, so Aaron, there are just two things that I wanted to tell you about that were in the little interesting links of the week. One of which is the micro three D printer. Mm-hmm. So. 3D printers have been notoriously expensive and even the cheap ones have been like a thousand bucks. And now on Kickstarter, there is the micro, which is $199 and it hit like a million dollars in 25 hours or something. Um, And I backed it too, because I want to get one of these. I don't exactly know what I'm going to use it for, but there's some really, I mean, you can make toys with it. You can make cookie cutters. You can make, uh, you know, iPhone cases if you really wanted to, like there's some, it's, it's small, uh, but the idea of sort of printing on demand on a 3D level, especially when there's kids around, I feel like it's something really cool. So I'm, I'm very, very excited for that one to come out. 
Uh, and then did you see did you see the article about UPS trucks not? Well, printing? not not hold on, hold on a minute. So is that going to print out and make like a, a plastic model of whatever you want? Because I I know yeah. you've toyed with this with this before as far as you made a case for your uh, computer. Yeah, the bracket Mac the, Mini. Exactly the Mac Mini bracket. That's true. But I was using a service called Ponico for that, which was offsite because uh, I didn't have a three D printer. So now I could do something like that on site and actually start tinkering around with some some prototype ideas that I've had, you know, I've had some ideas for physical inventions that I really haven't taken much further than, than the idea phase. So now I think I can actually start to play around with that. I also feel like there might be some fitness thing that I can do with it. I'm not sure what, but you know, something that can help uh, with alignment or or something, something I'm I'm not sure. It's the sky's the limit, I think. Right. So you were mentioning there, the thing about the UPS uh, trucks don't turn left. Did you see that? I, I did, yeah. That's so this, pretty crazy. It's an amazing story of efficiency. So apparently UPS trucks do not turn left. Um, and they route, they figure out the route specifically because they found out that left turns, you know, having to go into traffic or cross lanes or whatever was, was causing a few seconds or even a few minutes delay and causing them to use more fuel. Somebody figured this out. So now all of the routing basically makes it so they're always making right turns. Even if they have to literally go, you know, right around the block behind them, they would still go right, right, right and, and come around. And I think this is kind of amazing. They, they found like it's, it's overall, they've saved something like 5 million gallons of fuel and saved 15% of delays. It's, it's kind of crazy. Um, and apparently it's annoying to some of the drivers, but it's routed for them. So it's not that difficult. I just thought that this was like an amazing story and really explains well how when you look at a process, you really can identify places where you can make it better and make it more efficient. So if they can do it on a scale like that, then mm. you know you can do that when you're looking at how you pay your bills or, or do your accounts receivable. So I mean that's all I have for this week. Uh, before we get to the interview with Helen okay. Erlen, but you had a question I think about Helen. Yeah, well you know one thing I wanted to bring up be- uh, before we get to that was uh, last week you talked a lot about sunlight um, with both of your interviews, and I'm wondering, do you use sunlight to hack your circadian rhythms at all? Are you exposing yourself to light at certain times of the day or anything like that? Well, so. For the people watching the video, I, you know I'm I'm really well lit up right now. But I'm actually so I'm using this LED panel or um, these strips that are on the wall here, and I can make them different colors, just like the hue. So okay. I'm using the white, obviously, for the podcast because it, it I, I think it produces the best light. But if I'm working in my office, which is actually my gym, um, really early in the morning, I'll, I'll put red light on, or late at night, I'll put it a red a red light on. Um, and then during the day, I do try to have sort of a bluish light because that you know stimulating the outside. But quite honestly, I'm not at my desk very often. I'm usually in view of a window or even outside working on my phone or or, or wherever it might be. So mm-hmm. I don't focus on that too much. But when I'm inside, I try to modulate the light that I am experiencing. And and that that's actually a really good question because of the light thing. With Helen Erland, she's created this method where you're having you get these very custom-made glasses that affect how different light frequencies enter your retina. And apparently, if that happens in, a, in an incorrect way, it can cause all sorts of things like migraines and lack of attention and focus issues. And it's it's a really enlightening interview. So I'm excited that that she was able to come on, and um, yeah, I think people will like it. Now I'm speaking with Helen Erland, who is the founder of the Erland Institute. So Helen, thank you for talking to me. Oh, it's wonderful to be talking with you, Ari. So we are going to be talking about light and brightness and colors, and I'm very, very excited. So what what is the science of color, basically? Like, why, why is that? Why do, why should we care about color? 
Well, we might as well care about color. I have to kind of say we're really working with color as it applies to wavelengths of light okay. because all light is is composed of different colors of the rainbow. Um, so if you put white light through a prism, it breaks up into all the colors traveling at different speeds. And your brain, not your eyes, your brain is what has to process visual information. Um, and if some of those wavelengths of light or colors are coming in in the wrong speed, it has a major effect on many aspects of what you can do, your health, your well-being, uh, your sensitivity to light, your performance, achievement. And we can talk about some of these things in more detail. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's what I want to do. So, okay, so first of all, uh, you know, you, you created this method for sort of testing the way that different people respond to different spectrums of light, right? And, and why, uh, maybe it's a silly question, but why is there a difference? You know, why, why do, do different people respond to different light spectrums so differently? Um, that's an excellent question, and I'm not sure I really have a neuroscientific answer. Okay. But I can tell you in terms of generally what we have found is there's two reasons. One is you get to inherit it. Um, so you can inherit it from either one of your parents, if you're lucky from both parents, and then the problem's really severe, or you can acquire the problem through head injuries, concussions, TBI, um, and certain medical conditions like chronic fatigue syndrome, other autoimmune conditions, you end up being much more light sensitive. Okay. So... And light sensitivity can come in several forms too, you know, as I know it, you know, certain, certain colors and certain spectrums, obviously, and then obviously certain brightnesses and things. My wife used to be a migraine sufferer and uh, bright lights were just the worst thing for her when she was having a headache. Um, whereas I've always found that certain hues maybe made me kind of wince a little bit more or whatever it might be. So how does somebody go about figuring this out? What, how does the Erlen method work? Yeah, you brought up an interesting point is that everyone responds differently to light and they're bothered by different colors or light spectrum. And the art of this is and why it works so well um, is that we are able to figure out which of those specific colors or spectrums of light your brain and therefore your body is not responding to well and then we go in and we filter just those, just the amount we need to. So it's absolutely customized for each individual's brain to calm the brain down, calm the neurological system down, and then that leads, obviously, to um, less stress and improvements in life. Sure. So I, I use a pair of blue-blocking sunglasses at night often when if the TV is in beyond or if I'm using the computer late at night. And I found that that really greatly affects my ability to get better sleep. And you know, for the people who don't know, uh, blue light will affect your ability to produce melatonin. But you're talking about way more detail than that, of course. So how, I mean, for instance, I, I've seen several pairs of your glasses and, and they're all different colors, right? So why does, or not why, I mean, you sort of explain that, but uh, basically like, does a purple, how does a purple lens going to affect the light that's coming into me and affect me overall, as opposed to someone who has a reddish lens or, you know, whatever that is like, it's fascinating to me how you're able to figure out with that level of nuance. Um, that's the art of, it took me quite a while to figure out how one's able to do that. But because everybody's brain is different, 
everyone reacts differently to light and it affects them differently. And certain of the wavelengths of light are bothersome for some people um, and not bothersome for other. And the art of this is the fact that we can figure it out, correct it, so that the timing of all the wavelengths of light, they're coming in at the correct time so the brain is not overstressing, trying, trying to function and perceive things. Um, and there's no energy and effort then going into perceiving it. People may experience as a result headaches, nauseous, dizziness, eye strain, fatigue, um, difficulties reading, copying, um, attention and concentration. The condition can get misdiagnosed as ADD, ADHD. So about a third of those who are being diagnosed and put on medication and the medications either not working or creating more problems yeah. probably need Erlen, and this is actually what's going on. Um, about half of those who are getting misdiagnosis dyslexic, actually, they're seeing distortions on the page and things are creating strain and fatigue, and they don't have to live like that and just say, oh, well, I guess I'm dyslexic and I have to struggle or I can't do well or I'm not as bright as someone else or why are other people able to do it and I'm not? They may have Erlen as well, so... Um, it's, it's an underlying condition that's not being talked about or recognized. Okay. So, and also for, you know, people will see pictures and stuff in the blog, but the result here is you're going to get a pair of glasses basically that are, have a lens that is tinted perfectly for what your needs are. So let's talk about what, a, what an Erlen session looks like. What, cause it's, it's about six hours, right? <laughs> it's a long session, <laughs> but we break it up into <laughs> two sessions. First of all, um, Oh, we're not going to put anyone in glasses unless they, this is going to make a moderate to significant difference for them. So right. we have a number of pre-steps. One is we have some pre-tests that are available. Um, there's a number of them available online. Um, one, if you're having academic difficulties or reading difficulties, and that's the self-test for Erlen syndrome. There's another one available if you're dealing with headaches and migraines and want to know if your triggers are those that will respond then to the method of using, you know, wearing colored lenses. So a lot of people go online, they take the self-test, they either relate to it totally or they go, no, not at all. This is not it for me at all. Even if they relate to it, then they come in and we do what's called a screening where we have certain perceptual tasks that will elicit the types of discomfort and distortions that the individual is experiencing, but they're not aware of. Sounds and unpleasant. then we work with, <laughs> you know, it's like people go, you know, no one ever asked me what reading is like when I get to that point where I want to stop reading. Right. You know, and if you ask someone what's reading like and they don't like reading, they'll say boring. But if you say, wait a minute, stop and think about what reading is like. And when you get to that point that you want to stop reading, um, then you can get different responses. Well, I fall asleep, but doesn't everybody fall asleep? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's uncomfortable. I rub my eyes, but you get different responses. And how does the page look? Well, it shouldn't look any different and it shouldn't feel any different. Um, then when you started, even if you're reading an hour or two hours or three hours later, and if your norm is the fact that you've always experienced headaches at some point when you read, so you don't, you know, you stop reading before that happens, 
or you build many breaks into reading, or you prefer to read in dim light, you just think that's normal, and that's what it's like for everybody. Um, anyway, so we do a screening <laughs> um, to help that person, and us to identify all of the symptoms, all the discomfort that's happening, and all the difficulties that are, are that are they're having. Because the art of this is not to get rid of some, but to get rid of all of the symptoms. And then we work with colored overlays, which are just plastic sheets that we can put down on the page to come up with the correct color or color combination that the individual then uses um, to make sure that they are getting moderate to considerable changes, okay? And then they come back for the second appointment where we actually come up with the filters that we, you know, what we have to filter for that individual. Um, so probably all total, <laughs> it takes six hours, but it's about two hours for the first session, or an hour and a half for the first session, um, two, two and a half hours for the second session. And it is detailed, and it has to be for it to work. Of course. And I mean, it's really fascinating. And, and so does, it, does the resulting glasses, I mean, can you end up with really anything on the spectrum? And could you have somebody who is, who is like a really, really red lens and somebody who is a violet lens? Like, I mean, is, there, is it the full spectrum or do you sort of see a common it's Actually, range? it's the full, it's not even the full spectrum. It's a tweak of the full spectrum. So it may be a little bit of violet and a little more green and a tinge of blue. It's actually coming up and creating that combination. Um, and we're working with, you know, again, how much do we have to filter or if we have to filter um, <clears throat> or we do not have to filter. It's not like sunglasses. We don't make anything darker or dimmer because we're not cutting across the whole spectral band. And you don't need to if you're optimizing the brain's ability to function. Um, and actually normalizing it um, by doing this. And also, colors look normal. So somebody may be wearing a blue lens, but white will still be white, and all colors mm. will look normal. We don't. The world does not look blue to them. So no rose, co no rose uh, colored glasses for them then. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> in that sense, no. That's uh, so okay. But if you're well, well, for instance, what is what is your color? I'm curious. Well, I think the reason I discovered this is that I'm totally not on the continuum. Okay. So when I started doing the research way back in 1980 with adults who were at a university level but who were still struggling, and I wanted to know what are the questions we're not asking, what are we not identifying, and therefore what does an individual then continue to struggle with for a lifetime – that's how this came up. And I think because when I started asking the right questions or learned how to ask my questions in the right way and I was getting reporting, I can play off of myself and go, no, never happens to me. Nope, I read for six hours and I never look up from a book. Um, no, I don't think I've ever had a headache in my life. <laughs> no, <laughs> reading does not put me to sleep. You know, So I didn't have any of the symptoms and I think um, – that <laughs> I wanted to make without realizing it, everybody just like me. But in actuality, if I had any of the symptoms, I may have dismissed them and said, well, okay, that's my norm, that's your norm, just work harder, I achieved anyway. Um, I was able to achieve and perform so much easier and better. It took me less time to do it because I didn't have any of the symptoms. 
Um, but it does run on my husband's side of the family, I will tell you. <laughs> so um, he has an aunt and cousins who are wearing it. But no, I, I, I don't have a color that I get to wear. Okay. But I'm also the person who doesn't wear sunglasses outside. I can sit in bright sun and read forever. Um, you know, fluorescent lights don't bother me at all. I can't tell the difference if they're on or off. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> well, that's very fortunate. It gives you a good model to work from. Yes. Um, so, <laughs> I, well, I, I have to make sure of that, too. I took all my graduate students who were under me at that time and who were what I would call proficient readers. I read for long periods very efficiently. Um, and they were all just like me. So, <laughs> yeah. so I, I'm curious, because you mentioned your research, and I'm curious what kind of led you there, because I, I heard an interview that you gave, that I, and you said something that I really liked, where you were talking about how blackboards used to actually be black. And yeah. then they became green and other whiteboards. And it's, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I wake up pretty early because we have three little boys. But I'm, I'm usually up. I mean, actually, I'm always up before the sun comes up. And I almost never turn the lights on in the morning. Um, I always kind of wait till the sun comes up. And, and I find that it's, it's not even like I respond to it, just like a natural mechanism. Like I, I, I see well in the dark and I... Uh, you know, I just sort of like when the, the the natural sunlight comes in rather than turning on artificial lighting. But it's true that everything is brighter. There's lights everywhere. You know, there's lights and screens like everywhere. Um, so is that leading to sort of a desensitization for some people, you think? Or like how, what, what kind of led you on that path in a way in that research? Well, let's talk about the fact that not everybody has this condition. Actually, right. the majority of the people do not. So that's what you're fighting. You're realizing that the majority of the population is like me. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't care if I'm dealing with actually the best lighting for my population is what you're saying, indirect natural lighting. Right. Okay. And condescent lighting was great, but that's gone. So we can't <clears throat> talk about that anymore. Um, and I couldn't care less if you put it, you know, the reverse contrast with blackboards or whiteboards. It doesn't bother. I don't see glare. When people are saying to me, ooh, that glare is bothersome, I go, where is the glare? Or that car seems really bright. I go, right. What car is bright? I mean, and so you have a population that's the majority of the population that none of these environmental factors are triggers for them. Um, they're not bothering their health, their well-being. It's not a trigger for them. They rule the world. They have made the world the least stressful for them. It happens to be the most stressful um, for the population that responds to my technology. So that's what's happened in the classroom. We went from the blackboards with white, which is a great reverse contrast is very good, by the way. Green boards were great as long as you didn't use yellow chalk. To what? White boards. Sure, why not, okay? And then think, think about the classroom. You have books that are on high-gloss black, black print on white paper, high-gloss, and then you add fluorescent lights that for the majority of the population, none of these are a problem, but each one triggers and makes it worse. So the worst possible scenario is what we've done in terms of the classroom environment and the workplace. And there's this assumption that brighter is better. So they've made the fluorescent lighting 150% brighter since World War II. We keep getting brighter and brighter. You have high-def television screens. They're really bright. Yeah. We have computers that are backlit by fluorescent lights. So you're sitting there staring into fluorescent lights. The Kindle came out with the first the Kindle, right? Now they have the paper white. 
No, no, no. The, the one where it was gray. Right? Oh, yeah. It was dim. And I thought, wow, they've gotten it right, finally. And then everyone else came out with high contrast, brightness, increased the brightness. And Kindle came out with them, the paper the white, paper white. Uh, to go along with everybody else. And your population just happens to be the worst <laughs> for some people. So you mentioned reverse contrast. Is that what you mean? Like, uh, so a whiteboard with black text, would that, that would be reverse contrast? Black, if you have black, like you can do it on your computer screen even. You can change your contrast so you have black background with white print. That's so much better for my population than the black print on a white background. So it's funny because so I, I tend to read um, – uh, feeds and so, uh, blog stuff on my on my phone at night, and I always uh, I use a feed reader that allows you to reverse that. So I, I do do that. I have the black background with white text, and when I find at night, if I try to read white background with black text, I see lines in the air. Like I'll, I'll see like black lines throughout the air. So it, it's interesting. Um, it's and so, triggering stuff for you. Yeah. You know, and what's fun about this is you're running around knowing. Okay, I have to figure out how how to modify my environment. What's best for me. Children can't modify their environment, and a lot of people aren't aware of how to modify their environment. If you just have the Earl in color and you're wearing it as glasses or contact lenses, you don't have to modify your environment then. Nothing in your environment that was a stressor is a, is, is, is a stressor anymore. So how, how young can you do this? They just have to be able to, to do the – like interact with the test person or i mean the, the the testing can be done depending on severity of the symptoms um as young as you know if you have young children who are even three four and five who are already complaining of headaches or stomach aches um then we can test them that young because that's really unusual they're stomach pretty aches. severe stomach yeah aches. stomach aches is another symptom so it, the the physical symptoms, huge array, eyes hurt, ache, burn, dry, sandy, scratchy, itchy, tired, sleepy, fidgety, antsy, um, highly distractible. So there's a huge range of symptoms. That's why we have the self-test. So, so, and that's all environmental stuff. So what about an internal thing? So I, I actually have a, sm- a slight astigmatism in one of my eyes, and that's something I know is pretty common with people. And I had to have glasses for... A year, basically, that were corrective, and I never had to have glasses again. Uh, does this, does an astigmatism affect how? I mean, it's got to, right? Affect how you perceive light. Yes, your the visual acuity um, is your baseline. So we want people to be in glasses and fully corrected. Then we look at how the brain then processes visual information. You know, the eye is the camera. It just it just corrects the light to or the visual image to the correct part of the retina so it can be sent to the brain to be processed. So you have two aspects to the visual system, the eye, and that's the first one in the basic. And then we have to look at my stuff is the brain and how the brain's processing the information. So if you're wearing glasses, we just add the color to your prescription Gotcha. Now, you said, you know, a lot, most people don't really have this problem necessarily, but for somebody who doesn't have that problem, is there not a way to use the glasses for even further performance enhancing, enhancing, uh, help better no. focus? No. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> no, we're very selective. <laughs> Who we can help. But surprisingly, we're talking about uh, 26% of the population, which is not a small percent of the population. No, not at all. 
at all, think about it in terms of workplace and school. And when you're looking at people who are struggling um, in school, who may be identified with reading, learning, attention problems, um, <clears throat> reading difficulties, dyslexia, it's 46%. That's almost half. So that's a huge, significant population. Um, yeah, but for those, we do want to maximize their ability to perform, enhance their well-being. Because <laughs> your brain really controls, you know that, how you think, how you feel, how you perform, your, fun- your ability to function, um, and your health and well-being. And that's all controlled by your brain. And you want the best brain possible, and this allows us to give the individual the best brain possible, um, but it doesn't help if you already have the best brain possible. <laughs> now, so is this something that is corrective? You know, so you're giving your brain a little rest from all these harmful spectrums and stuff, and then it can come back from them and not need the glasses anymore. Do you wear them all day long? Do you, I mean, how, how, how is it used as a tool? Yeah, if you realize that lighting is something that your brain is processing 100% of the time, unless you're in a dark room with your eyes closed, um, that's when you're at your maximum. If you're in a dark room with your eyes closed, that comfort level is a comfort level that you should have 100% of the time. Um, <clears throat> so we find most people wear them um, all the time. Okay. Okay. Uh, and, and so, but, so it's not corrective then either. So it's not like you you'll get you get better and then you don't need them as much. Well, right? what happens is you may get after a while a period where when you take them off and you say, oh, it's okay now. It's it's not so bad. But over time, unless you've changed your environment for some reason and you're now can totally control your environment, the uh, stress from the environmental triggers are eventually going to come back and create a problem again. Okay, and now is that something that you can sort of extrapolate? So if somebody knows what their color is, what the you know what the sensitivities are, at least when they're at home, is there a way to even mitigate some of that? Can they you know put colored light bulbs in or turn off their? I mean, it sounds a little too complicated, I guess, but is that possible? Well, I wouldn't even go that far, but I think you have to realize that brightness then becomes an issue, right? Um, so you can look at brightness. Glare becomes an issue. So if you have large windows and there's a lot of glare, you want to maybe put sheer curtains over them or something where you can shut as you can control it. Um, you may want to put, you know, what is it called? Rotostats where you can control the brightness of the lighting. Yeah. <laughs> um, you may look at avoiding white paper. You may want to print things off your computer onto colored paper that works for you. On our website, um, you can change the background color so you can play with colors on our computer to see which one is better for you um, in terms of l- working with it. used to be everyone thought, oh, well, I'll work on white paper. Or they went to the yellow pads, and yellow can be as bright or brighter than white. And that's the problem with this is that there are certain colors that are going to be worse than white, some colors that are going to be as bad as white, some colors are going to be better than white, but only one color or combination of colors is really going to give you that total, total relief change and improvement. Okay. And, and then, of course, you know, so you said you're processing light 100% of the time unless you're in a dark room with your eyes closed. So if you are in a dark room with your eyes closed and you're sleeping, per, per se, will this help set you up for better sleep and help with your yes. circadian rhythm? Well, think about it. Yeah, think about it. If you're not stressing all day long, yeah. think about then how much more relaxed you are at night. We've been working with um, 
military who've been over in Iraq and Afghanistan and experienced traumatic uh, head injuries from blasts and multiple blasts, right? And as a result, have acquired this condition to a very, very severe extent. Sleep, anxiety, depression is all a component for them as well as all the other issues that we're dealing with. And um, we're able to, they live with headaches every day um, that just vary in intensity, triggering migraines two times a day to two times a week, right? And we're able to totally get rid of the headaches and the migraines, absolutely. Um, Reduce them anxiety, improve their performance, and they report, of course, sleep improves. Right. So that, and that totally makes sense. It's really interesting about the stress aspect of it because, you know, so many people aren't aware of the things that are stressing them. And there are a number of environmental factors beyond uh, lighting, of course, that can affect your stress. But, you know, that, that's, a, that's obviously a big one. Like it, it's, it's in a way it's a thing that you can't see, you know, because there's nothing coming at you necessarily that you're physically like aware of. So, uh, sure, that, that I mean, that certainly makes sense. This may be out of your realm here, but the, the, the photoreceptors that we have on our skin that can affect sort of, you know, circadian rhythms, does that have any play to this at all? Well, your photoreceptors also are, yeah, they're affecting, they're light sensitive. So they're also gathering light. Um, in terms of what we're doing, it doesn't seem to make a difference. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, right. no, and that's, that totally makes sense too. So, the I'm really one of the last, the last question I like to ask people on this podcast, and I'm, I'm very interested to hear your responses. Is uh, what are the top three things that you your sort of top three tips for being more effective? And you know, from anything that you've ever learned in, in your graduate work and your research, or you know, the Erlen method. But what are those three things that will make someone more effective? Um, I think one is to be aware of your body. Okay, Uh, and not discard symptoms. And you know, I've I had one child who came in and she said, "Well, I have headaches all the time." And I said, "Really? Do you have any idea why you have headaches?" She said, "Yes, my mom would braid my hair very tight when I was young." (laughs) You know, so you don't you make incorrect associations, or you're compensating, and you have no idea what it's like for anyone else. Pay attention to your body. Um, don't discard what your body's trying to tell you. Yeah. Educate yourself. Um, read. There's a lot of information out there that's on the Internet. I have two books out there, one called Change Your Brain, Change Your Perception, um, Change Your Perception, Change Your Brain, um, and look at self-tests and make environmental modifications. You don't have to sit there and struggle and be like everyone else. I mean, if you are bothered by light and you're in a restaurant and you're the only seat available when you walk in is one facing the window with the brightness coming at you and the glare. I always tell people, be a good advocate because nobody else cares. Say to someone, would you mind changing seats with me? Because I'm sure nobody would mind. Um, And I say the same thing to people who have auditory sensitivities and smell sensitivities because you can have a, a variety of other sensitivities. Take control of your environment. If you have auditory sensitivities and it's very hard for you in groups to follow what people are saying, say to somebody, you know, I'm really interested in talking with you. Let's go over together and let's go in a quiet room where we can talk. And they're not going to think you're strange. They're going to think that you really are interested in what they have to say. So be an advocate and take control of your environment and don't 
be ashamed to do that. Be proactive. Was that two or three? That's two. You want me? Okay. I need one more. Let me do one. I thought I was long, so I decided <laughs> to make it short. Um, <laughs> let's see. Let's do one more. Um, well, I thought I did three because I said not only take control of your environment and be a good advocate, but also to get educated. So getting okay. educated is the third one. Okay. Um, ask questions. Um, look things up. Um, don't just assume that what you have to deal with, you have to deal with the rest of your life. Okay. Those are, those are wonderful ones. And, and, you know, it's always, it's interesting to me, self-awareness comes up a lot in, in one way or another and, you know, being aware of your environment. I, I think that the, those are, it's really great that that gets reinforced in various different ways. So where can people go to find out more about Erlen method, Erlen syndrome, do the self-test? Where, where's the best place to do that? Um, website is www.erlen, I-R-L-E-N.com. So if you can just look at Erlen up, we're over all over the website, but it's Erlen, I-R-L-E-N.com. And then there's information. My book is, books are on Amazon.com. There's a lot of information on the web that you can read. But to get the self-test, to find out where the closest clinics or diagnosticians are, get onto the web, okay? Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to link to the website and to your books and to the self-test in the show notes. So, Helen, thank you so much for, for talking to me. That was really, really eye-opening, no pun intended. And uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks, Ari. It's been a pleasure.